Hi, I'm Jay John. Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Rachel Newham, and we're going to be talking about the very important subject of mental health. Rachel Newham, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thank you. Good to be here. I, I've loved reading your story. Um, and you were born, brought up in a Christian home. Yeah. And there's certain things that stood out for me. When you were five, <laughs> yes. you were praying for the Rwandan Gen- genocide at the age of five. Yeah. I was probably a touch precocious, um, but I just, I, I became a Christian at, at five and I think it was 1994, 95. And so the news was full of, um, I think I remember round being on the Rwandan genocide. Um, and yeah, just thinking, well, well, I want to go and be a missionary there then. That, that's what I'll do. Um, and then I realised that Rwanda is actually quite far away. Now, as you grew up, uh, you're going into your teenage years and and then this wave of sadness comes into you and you, you couldn't stop crying. Yeah, it was, there was there were a lot of tissues going on. Um, but it was, I'd kind of, I'd been away from home um, on a holiday with some, some friends um, at a camp and I thought, I guess, initially that it was homesickness because I was crying and I wasn't enjoying myself. Um, and it wasn't until I got home and I was still crying that I just didn't understand what was happening to me. Um, I didn't understand why I was crying. I didn't understand why I felt so sad. Yeah. I mean, were you and your parents thinking, oh, it might be a bit hormonal or something? Definitely. I thought that maybe it was that was this was just what being a teenager felt like. Yes. But then that moved into, I think you around the age of 15, you started to self-harm. Yeah. Now, what what provoked you or what why did you do that so it's interesting I think and this wasn't conscious at the time but looking back um, I've always had eczema um, and I've always had that sense that when you're itching and you get a relief from it I guess and I I wonder if that maybe helped plant the idea I, I don't know um, but it was the week of the 7-7 bombings and yes. um, my best friend's dad was diagnosed with cancer I just couldn't think of any other way Crying didn't really work anymore, I guess. Um, I wasn't getting any relief from it. Um, and so I searched for another way to, to get some of the relief that I, that I craved. And did, so did it bring any relief? Yeah, for a short time it, it did. Um, and I think it's really uncomfortable to talk about the fact that with things like self-harm, it for, in a short-term way, they work in the moment. They don't work in the long term and they're not healthy or helpful, um, but they do provide a sense of tension release um, for a little while. But what happens is, is almost as soon as it, the, it, the act is over, um, the tension builds again, um, which means it can lead to kind of an escalation. And that's, yes. So um, looking back, and obviously you, you've studied a lot, this is an, an, an area of your life and vocation now. What would you say to any of our listeners, Rachel, who are currently self-harming? What advice would you give them? I think the first thing is, is to find somebody you trust to, to talk to. Um, and it's really uncomfortable to talk to, talk about. And kind of to not be afraid of the, that uncomfortableness, um, but find somebody you trust. Um, you might not be able to tell them the reasons and, and kind of the hows and whys, um, but just confide in them that you're really struggling. Um, and find 
some outlets for that that feeling of pressure. For some people, it's sport. For others, it's music. For um, for me, often it was writing. Um, but finding a space to kind of release that tension in, in a different, healthy way um, is key. Um, when I was younger, I was like, well, I don't. I don't care about how I deal with my pain, I just want it to go away. Um, but it wasn't until I got um, older that I realised that actually in, in beginning to explore ways to, to deal with what was happening um, that were healthier and more constructive, that that did help how I was feeling. Sure, absolutely. And now, it was about the age of around 18 when you were diagnosed with clinical depression. Yeah. So, uh, was that a relief to you to actually have a diagnosis? Because for several years you were wondering what's going on with me. Yeah, it was a massive relief actually, um, because it just was like, oh, okay, that's why. It's not that there's something inherently bad about me. It's not my fault that this is happening. This is an illness. Okay, I can, I can kind of begin to come to terms with that in in a better way. And then were you prescribed antidepressants? Um, so I was. I was about 19, so it was about a year later um, when I was prescribed the medication. Um, and it's not a quick fix. No. Um, it's, they're not happy pills. Um, it's just, I often describe it as it's a life, it's a life raft. So you can float and then you can begin to actually get out of the water. But until then, I, I certainly wasn't able to, to even begin to deal with any of the stuff because I was, I was too ill. So me mental health, obviously, that's an area you have studied, you talk about. What is, when we say mental health, what do we mean, Rachel? It's a great question because often what we, when we talk about mental health, what we're actually talking about is mental illness. Um, if I'm doing training and I say, what is mental health? They say depression, anxiety, but they're mental illnesses. Mental health is our, our wholeness, our well-being. Um, it's... I guess what makes life worth living? Um, it's community, it's friendship, it's being able to um, get through hard times um, and able to, to, to flourish and to live well, I guess. So, uh, right, could you just give us some of the data, some of the statistics? What, do, what Rachel, are we actually talking about? How, how many people are affected by different disorders. Yeah, so um, I guess the most famous statistic is one in four um, will suffer with a mental, with struggle with their mental health um, in any given year. Um, and that's a vast, vast statistic. Um, and I think sometimes... Well, so that's 25% of yeah. the population. Yes. That's in hugely significant. Yeah. Definitely. I guess it's really important here that we understand that there's a there's a spectrum of mental health issues. Um, so for some people, it's going to be really easy to manage um, on the day to day basis. And for others, it's going to be um, life altering. But it's really important, I think, that we recognise how common mental illness is. Um, but equally that we recognise that it doesn't affect everybody in the same way. Um, so that 25 percent. Um, represents a huge range of different illnesses um, and different expressions of, of those illnesses. Okay, now Rachel, give us some understanding and insight and help. This last year has yes. been very, very complex um, for all sorts of people in all sorts of situations. So you having pondered all of this, uh, tell us what the major concerns are regarding mental health and this COVID season? 
So I think it kind of falls in into two parts. The first is um, the general, I guess, atmosphere of anxiety. And it's important to note that actually anxiety in and of itself isn't a bad thing. We do we need a level of anxiety in order to function um, because it's what keeps us safe. Um, but the fact that we've been, been bombarded every single day for over a year with horrendous news um, and been the fear around our families and ourselves and our livelihoods um, means that anxiety as an emotion has been deep in the air but also people have been struggling with anxiety disorders um, and, and can you tell us what disorders would they be yeah so um the most common one is generalized anxiety disorder which is often characterized by a feeling of dread um, and then panic disorder which has um obviously features panic attacks um and then there are kind of other um, anxiety disorders like obsessive compulsive disorder um, and post-traumatic stress disorder is also an anxiety disorder. Um, and I think one of the issues is coming out of lockdown um, is working with people who are really anxious about the end of lockdown as well. Um, so the last year has been crisis mode for so many people and they many might not have even been able to begin to think about how anxious they are um, or to manage perhaps the grief that they're living through. Um, and so coming out of lockdown and hopefully returning to some kind of normal life, actually we need to be really aware in our churches that for some people lockdown was the biggest struggle, but for others this next season is going to be equally hard um, as we readjust to um, being around people again. So, okay, let's pick up on that, on both of those. Wow. Um, first of all, lockdown. For some people, um, being at home, possibly uh, in an abusive marriage or in an abusive situation, uh, your children being at home and you have to uh, do the teaching and you're not able to do the teaching. And, you know, I sometimes think of people, you know, maybe stuck in a high rise block of flats. Yeah. I mean, that must have caused a lot. Uh, so how are these people who've been affected, how are they going to be helped? I guess that's the, the, the million dollar question. We don't know. Um, so I think hopefully within schools and I think we can't underestimate the, the massive impact that this last year has had on our young people who have missed out on, on so much so, socialisation um, and just like the carefreeness that should come with, with child, childhood and, and adolescence. Um, so I think hopefully there, there's stuff being put into place in schools with, with counselling and, and wellbeing and kind of a focus on how to live well and how to kind of adjust back into um, life. But I think this isn't just about there being medical interventions for those with clinical anxiety and clinical depression. This has to be a community thing that actually yes. we're looking after one another. And I think, you know, COVID has, has shown the power of community again, you know, um, where we live, there's been coronavirus support groups and kind of people running lifts and doing meals for people who are self-isolating. And I think if we can plug into that and keep that going, but in perhaps in different ways, actually that's gonna make make it a little bit easier because we're gonna enable people to feel less alone. So uh, you mentioned earlier on about coming out of lockdown. Yeah. Okay, so would we not all be really happy that we're coming out of lockdown? 
I think, for, you know, I think there is probably be a general sense of relief that, that, that we can search for some kind of new normal. But I also think if your life pre-lockdown, if your job was a real struggle, if you were living with a mental illness like social anxiety and actually leaving the house was a real struggle, um, then lockdown may have provided a bit of a buffer for you. Yes. It may have been, you know, for children who are struggling with really hating school, actually the opportunity not to be at school for a while, even if it was hard at home, might have been a real comfort and relief. And so I think we have to accept that there are a whole realm of emotions coming out of lockdown. It's easy to kind of be like, but surely everyone's really happy about it. Um, and I think there's also, there is a lingering fear that actually, you know, COVID hasn't gone away. Um, and so people who are particularly vulnerable or haven't received the vaccine yet are still anxious about it and, and about its transmission. So uh, what advice, what encouragement would you give those people who are fearful? I think one of the, the biggest mistakes we make in terms of mental health is that we think it's divorced from our physical health. And actually, some of the best things we can do for our mental health are the same that are good for our physical health. So it's getting enough sleep. Um, it's um, making sure we get outside once a day. Um, it's making sure that we have some a kind of range of vitamins and minerals and, and nutrients in our diet. Um, but it's also talking about it. And it's there's something about putting voice to our emotions and our feelings, which is really powerful um, and can help us to, I guess, process it in a way that we can't do when, it, when it's all locked inside our head and it's kind of a, a big soup of anxiety. Yeah, but, but also how about, you know, where do you get the balance? So for example, yes, uh, we need to get sleep, yeah. but we could oversleep as well, can't we? So routine is really key actually when it comes to sleep. Um, and anyone who has raised a child in any form will know that you know sleep routines are important and we kind of have bedtime routines for, for young children. But actually adults need that too. We need that sense that our body gets told that we're about to go to sleep. So whether it's a few pages of book and a shower um, or a cup of you know, herbal tea or whatever it is, we need to have a routine um, every evening that helps us, our body signal that we're about to go to sleep now. Um, trying to go to bed at a similar time every night and wake up at a similar time in the morning. Um, these are all things that can help to improve our sleep. Now, right back to your, your own story, Rachel. Um, okay, you were diagnosed uh, with um, depression. Mm -hmm and you received medication, you've had other struggles, but you, you've pushed through. And I mean, you're a very vibrant, you're an optimistic, positive person. So you didn't wallow, you, you kind of press through. Tell us a little bit more about your story of, of moving forwards and not being hindered. I think, I think for, for many years, actually, there wasn't a lot of moving forwards. Okay. Um, and I don't, I think for many years I wasn't able to, I was too poorly. Um, and I think we have to be really aware of that when we're um, walking alongside people with mental illness, that actually we want them to, to be more positive and to kind of get on with it. But that might not be possible. It's all, it can be like saying to somebody with, with the flu, it's all right, just get up and go for a run. 
Um, so I think there's a real needs to be a real acknowledgement that there we have to be meeting people where they are. But also, I think time helps. <laughs> Giving people time to experience what they need to experience, to, to cry, to, to get the help they need without that constant pressure that they need to be doing more all the time. Um, and, and giving them space in church to just be. Um, but equally, not limiting them. So it can be really hard, I think, to strike that balance between not wanting to push somebody, but giving somebody an opportunity. So throughout um, the years when I was at my most unwell, I was still serving in church. Um, that's not possible for everyone, but actually for me, that was a real outlet that enabled me to have some space um, and some real joy in life. But, but like take that, for example, Rachel, that's a choice, isn't it? And you yourself made a choice to serve in church. And do you think sometimes, um, you know, we make the wrong choices? You know, our get up and goes got up and gone. So we're like, well, we're not going to bother. Yeah, I think, I think to a certain extent, we have to want to try, I guess. Yes. But I also think that as as communities around people who are struggling we need to help them to know no limits and say actually if if all you can do today is sit and quietly rest um in what's happening in the church service great um if next week you want to i don't know might it be more helpful to be on the sound desk so that you're not having to interact with loads yes. of people but actually offering space that you don't need to be productive in church. Sometimes it's about sitting at, at God's feet and saying, okay, do with me what you what you will. It's that sure. kind of Mary and Martha thing, I guess. Um, but also it's about praying alongside people if they're not able to pray for themselves. It's about um, praying on their behalf, perhaps, saying, how, how can I pray for you? Um, is it a case of, I certainly, when I was really unwell, my pastor at the time, sometimes our, our prayer sessions were me crying and him praying. Um, and gradually, I began to find a voice um, and, and words to pray. But actually, I needed that, that time and space first. Um, and I think too often we, we want healing to go along our, our timeline rather sure. than the actual timeline that, that's going to happen. Yes. So uh, uh, Psalm 23 um, says, he makes me lie down, yeah. you know, and sometimes uh, if we don't lie down, God will make us lie down. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it's getting that balance between knowing when your body needs to be repaired and restored and also, you know, uh, stand, walk, run. Uh, my, my colleague, uh, Sam Rennie was telling us this morning that he and his wife decided to go running and they couldn't even run around one little field. Yeah. But they did. And then they added a bit more on and then added a bit more on and added a bit more on and ended up running two half marathons. Uh, so it, it's getting that balance between knowing when to completely rest and then push forward. And it takes time, doesn't it? Um, I often say for some people, if they are, are bed bound with, with illness, um, the energy it takes somebody to 
get downstairs and sit on the sofa is almost as much as another person running half marathon. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's helping people to, to walk for the steps that they're able to take. Um, but not kind of making judgment, I guess, on, on their progress. Yes. Now, throughout your time and, and years of struggle, uh, you, you kept your faith. You kept on leaning against, yeah. you know, leaning on the Lord. Um, so your faith has sustained you. Definitely. It, I would say I, I never doubted the existence of God, but I, I asked him some pretty some pretty strongly worded questions about where he was and what he was doing. Um, but I think actually that gave me permission um, and helped me to keep my relationship with God was actually being honest with him. And I, I wrote in my diary, my teenage diaries are something to behold. Um, yes. But the, the struggle was, God, where are you? And I don't know what you're doing. But I'm going to hopefully trust that you're doing something, even though if I have no idea what it is. Um, and I, I, sent, I think I, I learnt to lament without even knowing what it was, I guess. Um, but it was being honest with God. That was what has sustained my faith, I think. And that is so important in our relationship with God, yeah. to be honest. The thing is, to be honest with God, God already knows the details. Of course he does. <laughs> so it's it asked in fact being honest with ourselves mm. yeah and i think but sometimes that comes i guess through that through that, that prayer and i i always think here about jesus walking along the road to emmaus um, and you know he he, he asks cleopas you know what, what why are you so downcast yes um and he wants to cleopas to tell him even though he knows and he lets cleopas tell him the story of his own last days before he then preaches and opens the scriptures for them. Absolutely. And I think that's such a powerful um, example of, of the gentleness of, of Christ um, with us. And that, that kind of tandem thing of listening to one another's stories and listening to the, to the wider story of God. Yeah, I, I love that story of the two on the Emmaus Road. And I am so encouraged by that, particularly as they were walking in the complete opposite direction to where they should have been. But Jesus was still walking with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that whole, as you said, listening, tell me, you know, tell me your story. And then, of course, Jesus telling them the truth about the story <laughs> and we see it time and again you, you know do. in the psalms it's like, let the redeemed of the lord tell their stories and my favorite passage is is a lot is that of elijah on mount horeb when he he's saying take my life lord i've had enough um, and the angel literally comes alongside him and says sleep eat sleep eat now go and go and talk to god and say what well, you know open that and I, I just love that and i think it's a real encouragement and challenge for us um as, as a church to, to kind of, I guess, know which bit to do when. Absolutely. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? The advice that's given to the prophet, have a nap and yes. have a snack. It's great. It's great advice. <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Great advice. Do that. I'm always up for that advice. Because you need to be restored. Yeah. yeah. Now, your, your book, you tell your, your story in your book, uh, Learning to Breathe, and that's the, your story. Great title. Tell us more about the title. So um, I actually started writing 
bits of it when I was 18 um, as a kind of record of, of what I was going through. Um, you'll be pleased to know I'd kind of deleted the teenage angst by the time it got into a book form. Yes. Um, but I really felt this sense of, I, I've always struggled to breathe because I have asthma. And that's been a, a huge part of my life. Um, and as I was reading and, and writing, that sense that actually the, the struggles I'd had in, in, in terms of asthma and learning to manage that were very much mimicked in, in my struggles with mental health. Um, you know, that, that sense of suffocation that came when I was at my lowest um, and the sense that actually I needed other people around me to help resuscitate me um, and then be able to, I guess, yeah, learn to breathe on my own um, yeah. in a new way. Yes, absolutely. What advice would you give, Rachel, to church leaders and church churches in these years ahead uh, in responding to their flock uh, in the area of mental health? What advice would you give? I think the first thing is to listen and um, to listen to what those people who are struggling are telling you um, and perhaps saying about um, how we do church and how it works. I think we've learned a huge amount over the last year about accessibility in terms of doing stuff online and it not being less. Um, so I think listening to people is really important. I think giving space for lament, giving space for people to, to cry out to God and say, this hurts and, and how can, how can, where are you in this God? Um, and then I think helping people to connect themselves um, to the story of scripture that we are God's people and that even when they have, God's people have been at their absolute lowest, God continues to walk, God continues to lead them um, into new places, um, being a comfort and a guide. So for you personally, Rachel, the future, how do you see it? It's an exciting time. I So I, um, the charity I founded a decade ago, um, I've, I'm moving on from that this week, in fact, um, to go and work for another charity, exploring this whole issue of how we can best support those with mental illnesses as a church and doing a big research project on on how best we can help people really um, and kind of look at the state of, of mental health in, in the UK church. So that's the next step um, and I've got a book coming out later this year on that whole thing of, of, of joy and lament as well. So that they're kind of the two focuses of, of my work alongside toddler wrangling. As well, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Rachel, thank you for sharing with us uh, a little of your own story. Um, well done for persevering and persisting. Great to see the Lord sustaining you. And I like that word preserve, because I think the Lord has preserved you, hasn't mm, he? And yeah. uh, pr preserved you for a time such as this. And thank you for your insights and your wisdom. Rachel, thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Thank you for having me. Well, was that good to talk to Rachel, particularly for a time such as this, as so many, uh, as Rachel said, 25% of the population uh, struggle with something to do with mental health. I hope you found that helpful. I hope it's given you a faith lift. If you do need any um, help, um, if you're struggling with a mental health issue, please reach out. Um, to family, friends, um, and to other services that are available uh, that can help you in your journey. Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media.